the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Frantz. Yes, indeed it is, and a good morning to you, friends. It is eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday. It's the 14th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. It's an important day. It's a day to show solidarity with the Jewish people of this country and Jewish people around the world and more specifically Jewish people in Israel, as the March for Israel takes place in D.C. Today on the National Mall should be going around 1 o'clock, probably start filling up before that. Don't know what kind of crowds to expect. Hugh Hewitt is going to be there. I heard him talking about it this morning. He talked about uh, being there as a supporter of the Jewish cause in Israel and their right to defend themselves, but also as a journalist covering the event, which he'll talk about tomorrow. And I heard him say this morning that there should be tens of thousands of people there. I will say this, if it is only tens of thousands of people there, I'll be very, very disappointed. Unless those tens rise up over the 90,000 mark and get us to 100,000. I would like to think that there are that many people in this country that are willing to stand up. But then again, with the three. 188% rise in anti-Semitic attacks in America this year, year over year from last year. Maybe you won't have that. 
Maybe there just aren't enough Americans who actually care about that. We'll see what the turnout looks like today. But we're going to be uh, kind of monitoring things as things ramp up there. I am you know, certainly not going to uh, promise that there won't be some problems either leading up to or during the event from counter-protesters, pro-Palestinian, pro-death uh, uh, squads, pro-Hamas squads, who are going to be there challenging the March for Israel. Lord only knows what it will what it will look down there. We will monitor it as best we can while we're on the air to tell you what's going on as we get ramped up for it. Obviously, we'll be on the air until just before noon. The event starts at 1, so I would imagine sometime between the 10 o'clock hour and in the 11 o'clock hour, there's going to be some significant crowds gathering. And if there are going to be any problems in terms of, you know, like I said, showdowns or or counter-protesters getting in faces, um, well, we hope we don't have anything like that to report. How about that? We hope there is nothing like that that happens. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. But we will keep you posted on it as it goes today. We're going to start this morning. By the way, we are completely guest-free today. Uh, Peter Kersenow is uh, working on some legal emergencies in his daytime job. Uh, in addition to being a commentator on this program, he also happens to run a law firm and uh, also manages to get to D.C. to be on the uh, the uh, um, Commission on Civil Rights, the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Pete actually has other things to do. So he's going to be with us a little later this week. Don't know exactly when, but we're hoping to get him on a little bit later this week. So we are guest-free And that means a lot of opportunity for a lot of important information that I want to share with you, but also a lot of opportunity to hear from you, too, at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to start with this. There are reports of the amount of money that it is costing you and me, American taxpayers, um, because of Joe Biden's invisible border policy. I mean, he has no border policy other than leave it open and allow more millions of people, including dangerous people, including gang members, including cartel members, including drug mules and drug runners, including human traffickers, and including, yes, terrorists. Um, let's just leave the border open. That's the board Biden border policy. Well, we have some numbers now. This was just released yesterday. House Republicans released a report that totaled the costs of the record high illegal immigration at the southern border under the Biden administration. And lo and behold, U.S. taxpayers like you and me, we have paid nearly half a trillion dollars. Half trillion dollars. Because of Biden's policies, the House Homeland Security Committee debuted a 49-page document yesterday that broke down the education costs, the health care costs, the law enforcement costs, and all of the others that the arrests of more than 6 million illegal immigrants have generated since early 2021. Now, that is only the 6 million that they know about, that they acknowledge, that who have come in and who have been caught and released under the Biden catch and release program, right? That doesn't count the gotaways that didn't get caught, the ones who just came in, ran, and wanted to avoid detection because they were here to do some very, very dangerous things, maybe the terrorists, maybe the drug runners, maybe the cartels and so forth. They were human traffickers, human smugglers. So this is just on on that. 
I'm going to read a quote from the report. Every day, millions of American taxpayer dollars are spent on costs directly associated with illegal immigration and the unprecedented crisis at the southern border, sparked by Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas's policies. Mass illegal immigration, accelerated by Mayorkas' open borders policies, now represents a massive cost to the federal government and state governments alike, as well as the pocketbooks of private citizens and businesses, end quote. Now, this report came yesterday during the day in advance of last night's vote, which is where I'm starting this morning. Last night's vote was on an impeachment resolution introduced by Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, not of Joe Biden. We can't get there yet. As we know, the House is working through um, the impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. And then possibly, I think Jim Jordan said as early as maybe January, we might see a, uh, you know, an, uh, articles of impeachment being introduced. And, and into the 2024 we go. This is, not, this is not about Biden. This is about Secretary Mayorkas. A resolution to impeach Secretary of Homeland Non-Security Alejandro Mayorkas. And that's just what I'm calling it. We can't call it a Department of Homeland Security when it is not secure. So non-security, unsecurity, insecurity, no security, whatever the hell you want to call it. That's what Mayorkas has uh, presided over. He has made many, many appearances before congressional committees about the disaster at the border. He has offered no contrition, no acknowledgement that anything is wrong. He continues to lie and basically say, no, the border is not open. The border is secure. And, And nothing is done to him. So finally, last night, the House GOP got together and said, enough is enough. Here's a resolution of impeachment against Alejandro Mayorkas as Secretary of the Department of Homeland Non-Security. And everything went swimmingly, right up until the time that it didn't. Eight Members of the Republican conference in the House, eight of them joined with all of the Democrats to say, F you and your homeland security. We don't give a rat's red A. Eight of them. This is this is beyond treasonous. This is absolutely indefensible. The House voted 209 to 201 to sideline or table the resolution introduced by Marjorie Taylor Greene, effectively killing it. Eight of them did this. They said, we don't care about the homeland. We don't care about the human smugglers. We don't care about the fentanyl. We don't care about the drug runners. We don't care about the terrorists on the watch list. We do not care is essentially what they said. So you're probably asking yourself right about now, who are these eight Republicans who would have done something as, as, as unbelievable as this? What eight Republicans in the House would have sided with the Democrats to keep Alejandro Mayorkas on as the uh, Secretary of Homeland Insecurity? 
Well, I'll tell you who they are. One of them is California Representative Daryl Issa. One of them is North Carolina Representative Virginia Fox. The third of them is Colorado Representative, who's going out. He is retiring or not running for re-election, thank God. Colorado Representative Ten Buck, uh, excuse me, Ken Buck. The fourth one is Oregon Representative Cliff Bentz. The fifth one is North Carolina Representative Patrick McHenry, Captain Gavel. The next is California Representative Tom McClintock. The seventh is California Representative John Duarte. And what about the eighth? Who's the eighth Republican to tell Americans, we don't give a rip about your homeland security? Kiss our homeland security. Who's the eighth one? Happens to be the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, Ohio Representative Mike Turner. Ohio Representative Mike Turner said, we don't care. Or at least that is how I'm going to take his decision, considering he's not speaking on it. Mike Turner represents the 10th District. It's down uh, down Dayton Way, Montgomery County, Green, and Clark Counties. Mike Turner, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, voted with the Democrats. One day after going on Fox News with Trey Gowdy and illustrating to the American people how dangerous this country, what kind of danger this country is in right now because of the poor southern border. Wait, what? How does that make sense? How does that square? That's a hell of a good question. Maybe we should listen to what Mike Turner said on Sunday, one day before voting, to keep the guy who has made the poorest border as open as it is, how he can keep him on. Mike Turner, after this vote yesterday, I sent a direct message to him on Twitter. I then pulled a few strings, made a few contacts, and found out the name of his communications director. Sent a message to the communications director saying, we need to get him on the air. If not my show, somebody's show, he needs to answer to the people of Ohio, to the people of his district, to the people of the United States of America, why he is selling out, along with seven other Republicans, um, the effort to get rid of Alejandro Mayorkas and try to uh, secure the border. So I, I sent him a direct message. I uh, got a hold of his comms guy and sent him a message, unreturned. Seth reached out to the uh, congressman's office, left office, left messages there, and sent emails there. This morning... We followed up. You did follow up this morning, didn't you, Seth? You, uh, did you hit the, uh, yes, the comms director again? I did. I called, uh, and the voicemail box was full, but I left a text as well. Yes. Okay. Um, begging for a statement from Mike Turner. Even if not an interview with with me or with anybody else, give a statement why you did what you did. Maybe there's something here we're not looking at. But until we get a statement from him about why he did what he just did, what we should do is listen to what he said on Sunday. Because this is what he said on Sunday in an interview with uh, Trey Gowdy on Fox News about the 
porous southern border and the recognition by the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, that there could very well be terrorists crossing our southern border and ready to do imminent harm to the United States of America. Please listen. The war in the Middle East is raising the terror threat here at home as well. Hamas and other terrorist groups would not think twice about hurting you. So how concerned should Americans be? Joining us is Mike Turner, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee from the great state of Ohio. Chairman, thank you so much for being with us. Let's start with what's about now a one-month-old war. It seems like some have already lost the appetite for taking on Hamas, and they're calling for ceasefires and pauses. What do you think? Well, Trey, thanks for having me on. And, and certainly, you know, it, it's disconcerting to watch um, how how quickly people lose sight of the terrible, uh, you know, atrocities that Hamas committed uh, when they killed over a thousand innocent Israelis. Um, and certainly, uh, Israel has to be in a position to, to be able to defend itself and to take this conflict to Hamas to protect itself in the future. <laughs> but you're right that that conflict has resulted in an increased risk to the United States itself. Uh, it's been just over a week that uh, Director Ray, director of the FBI, came before the Senate and said that we have a greatest threat to the United States attacks in the homeland than since over a decade. And then last week, he appeared before um, the uh, had a conversation with the members of the uh, majority side of the Intelligence Committee in the House. And he related to us the same and uh, says that he's very concerned about the risk to the United States. Chairman, we are seeing violent and ugly protests, threats against Jews in this country. How worried should we be about this war being exported to our homeland or groups sympathetic to Hamas acting out here in the U.S.? Absolutely. And that, that is one of the elements that the Director Ray has identified as increasing the threat to the United States. And, you know, he talked about, of course, the increased threat to you know U.S. troops abroad. But his point and what he that really the alarm he's sounding is the threat of attacks inside the United States. He cited what occurred in Afghanistan with the abrupt withdrawal, um, eliminating our ability to have intelligence gathering within Afghanistan from terrorist groups and organizations that could be planning attacks in the United States. And he cited the southern border. Uh, indicating that there are people in the United States who've crossed the southern border, who pose a risk to our country, people who are allied with international terrorist groups and organizations who both as groups could be planning terrorist attacks, some lone wolves who might be inspired, as you were saying, uh, by what Hamas has been doing. And then also the fact that Hamas, Hezbollah, and others, uh, ISIS, have been calling for attacks in the United States. And uh, that also can result in this increased threat and perhaps uh, you know, grave danger uh, to the United States. So there it is, if you can believe it. This is a man who spent a good portion of his interview with Trey Gowdy on on Sunday, Mike Turner, Republican from Dayton, chairman of the Intelligence Committee. He spent a good part of his interview with Trey Gowdy talking about how incredibly dangerous it is for us to leave that southern border unprotected because of the number of terrorists who are coming across. Everything he said there was spot on. Everything he said there was right. But then why the hell did 24 hours later on Monday night when it came time to vote to hold Alejandro Mayorkas accountable, how, how does he vote no? He's one of just eight members of the the Republican conference in the House to vote no on, on booting, impeaching, this is the resolution for Marjorie Taylor Greene, Alejandro Mayorkas. 
the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Non-Security. It makes no sense. Somebody make it make sense. Somebody who's within the sound of my voice. I know I have team members of sitting members of Congress listening to the show all the time to see what's going on, what we're talking about. They take the pulse. You're listening. If you're an elected official or a team member of an elected official listening to me right now, and I know you listen, you know Mike Turner. You know some of his people. We need to hear from Mike Turner. Again, even if he doesn't come on my radio program, which he should if he had an ounce of courage, Even if he doesn't come on this radio program, he needs to at least issue a statement from his press department. He needs to issue an explanation as to why he did what he did. Maybe there's an element to this that we don't know. Maybe there's something missing here. Maybe he's got a bigger plan in mind. Maybe he's going to introduce a stronger resolution of of impeachment. I don't know. But I do know that right now there are eight Republicans who are straight-up trans-dems, just like we called the 22, the blue 22 in the state of Ohio, who voted to take away the gavel from Speaker-elect Derek Merrin and give it to uh, Jason Stevens in in just an unholy deal with Ohio Democrats. These are trans-dems. These are Republicans who are transitioning to Democrat. They just haven't made it official yet. And Mike Turner's one of them, until we hear otherwise. All right. It's uh, 926. Let's do our pledge. We'll take a quick time out, uh, and we'll get some of your reactions to this. 216-901-0945. Patriots, stand, face your flag, put your hand on your heart, and join us for this pledge. If you support open borders and thus a non-sovereign nation surrendering the sovereignty, we can no longer call ourselves a sovereign nation uh, since 1776. If, uh, if you believe in that, then you certainly don't believe in the flag, and therefore you don't have to fake it and stand and pretend Instead, take a knee over there like the good little Marxist that you likely are. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, like I said, 216-9010. Empire Window Company, you're going to want to call that number, 855-76-EMPIRE, and make sure to log on to EmpireWindowCompany.com. Empire Window Company, Bill Y. You deserve a fair price. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob Prance on The Answer. All right, thanks so much for being with us on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Phone lines are open at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I kind of uh, I made an error in the open of the show when I said that we were guest free today. I kind of forgot about what we're going to do in our third hour. In our third hour, for a portion of it anyway, uh, we're going to welcome our friend Mark King into our studio because we are in the middle of the annual enrollment period, and um, Mark has answers to your questions. You can call us directly. Starting at around 1110, 216-901-0945, what questions do you have about Part A, Part B, about Advantage? What what are your Medicare questions? Prescription coverages, dental coverages, you name it. you got questions for Mark. He's going to be in studio answering your questions. Also talking to us about a wonderful Christmas event that's coming up uh, that is rooted in Christianity. It's, uh, it's a fantastic thing that's very personal to him, and we're going to kind of invite you to join us for that, too. So uh, all of that will be happening at uh, about 1110. So between now and then. Uh, we're looking forward to your thoughts. First of all, on the march uh, today uh, in uh, Washington, D.C., the March for Israel, as it is called. Uh, it is certainly something that is uh, long overdue because there has been enough anti-Semitism and enough pro-Palestinian rhetoric and pro 
Hamas rhetoric uh, to last a lifetime, uh, depending on where you live. Of course, if you live in uh, in Gaza, it's going to be a very, very short lifetime. And of course, if you live in Israel, Gaza or uh, Hamas is trying to make sure that you live a very short lifetime. But you do understand the reference. So um, we're looking forward to uh, uh, your thoughts on that. Also, on that front, on the anti-Semitism front, let's come and bring it hyper-local. Let's go from the Middle East, not just to the United States, but let's go to Ohio and more specifically to Northeast Ohio. The People's Republic of Oberlin has long been known for its radicalism. The people of the People's Republic of Oberlin College has long long been known for their uh, wokeness, for their um, bizarre socialist, almost straight-up communist faculty, administration, messaging, philosophy, ideology, identity. Um, but did you know that they they added anti-Semitism into this? You probably could have expected it, right? Oberlin College is under investigation now, federal investigation, over at least one incident or situation involving uh, rampant anti-Semitism and maybe more. But there's a professor who calls himself a professor of peace. He's a religion professor at Oberlin College. His name is Mohammed. Automatic questions arise. Jafar Mahalati. One of the country's most liberal colleges is being investigated over allegations that allowed anti-Semitism to breed on campus, after, including having a professor of peace studies who has called for the elimination of Israel and the death of Salman Rushdie. Oberlin College, this is a New York Post report, but we've got more information coming up from um, legal insurrection. Oberlin College in Ohio could lose chunks in the millions in annual federal funding as a result of the probe, whose existence it has not yet disclosed to students, alumni, or donors. Last year, the school took more than $5 million in federal grants. Now, why, by the way, federal tax dollars would go to a private college like Oberlin? I don't know, particularly one with an endowment in the tens of billions of dollars. This is a school that charges its little lemmings $68,000 a year to come there and be indoctrinated further. I mean, that's, that's some pretty, pretty staggering. Those are some pretty staggering numbers. And they take federal funds, $5 million last year. They are being investigated for possible breaches of Title VI, by the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. The title protects students from being harassed and discriminated against because of their religion. Which, of course, we all know very well. You know, if the religion is Christianity or Judaism, uh, well, those things are pretty much all bets are off. You try to criticize or condemn somebody for Islam. Oh, Islamophobia! Try to condemn anybody for the realities of of uh, the globe, the call for a global caliphate and Islamic jihad, and oh my gosh, how dare you demonize uh, poor innocent Muslims? The investigation was opened on September 29th. Was prompted by a complaint filed in 2019 by Oberlin College graduate Melissa Landa, to whom we have reached out. Right, Seth. We have reached out yes, we to have. Yes. we've reached out to Melissa Landa. We're going to try to get her on the program sooner rather than later. But she founded the quote Alliance for Israel 
to counter the BDS campaign that targeted Israel and hostility toward Jewish students at the school. BDS is boycott, divest, and sanction. Landa graduated from Oberlin in 1986. She's the president of the Oberlin chapter of Alums for Campus Fairness, a nonprofit that works to end anti-Semitism. So in other words, somebody who escaped the indoctrination center without actually being fully programmed. Or she became deprogrammed one way or the other. She sent the department a dossier of anti-Jewish and anti-Israel incidents between 2014 and 2017, and four years later, the college finally acted. The dossier focuses on tenured peace studies and religion professor Mohammed Jafar Mahalati, who has called himself a professor of peace, but who actually is accused of supporting not just Palestinian civilians, Hamas, the terror group and giving students credit for writing anti-Israel blogs. Mahalati allegedly told his classes in 2016 that Israel is a colonialist state and Israel is an apartheid state. Mahalati, 71, has also taught at Columbia, Georgetown, and Princeton. Before becoming an Oberlin professor, he was Iran's ambassador to the United Nations. He's Iranian the world's leading state sponsor of terrorism. That's Iran. They produce a professor who comes to the United States and preaches anti-Israel messaging now for decades at Columbia, Georgetown, Princeton, and Princeton, and now Oberlin. It's fantastic. He was accused while he was at the uh, United Nations of defending the fatwa or Islamic decree issued by the former Ayatollah Khomeini to murder novelist Salman Rushdie. In 1989, this now Oberlin professor back in 1989 told Reuters, quote, I think all Islamic countries agree with Iran. All Islamic nations and countries agree with the fact that any blasphemous statement against sacred figures should be condemned. Well, they didn't just condemn the statements. They called for the death of Salman Rushdie. A fatwa was put on his head. Kill him in the name of Allah. Now, at the risk of agitating those who worry about things like Islamophobia, tell me something. Is there another religion that you're aware of that calls for the murder of somebody who insults a sacred figure in their in their faith. I I'm pretty sure Judaism does not call for murdering people who don't practice Judaism or who criticize or condemn any biblical figures like Abraham or I don't know God. I know for a fact that Christianity doesn't call for the death of anybody who even criticizes Christ. I'd have to check into it, but I don't think anybody in the Buddha or anything in the Buddhist religion calls for the death of anybody who insults Buddha. I'm not even sure if in Hinduism there is a, a death call for anybody who might insult Vishnu. If so, the makers of The Simpsons would have been executed a long time ago. I'm pretty sure that there's only one world religion that calls for murdering people who insult their leaders. Yeah, and that's not Islamophobia to point that out. Um, 
The Oberlin professor has also been accused of helping the Iranian government cover up the massacre of thousands of jailed political opponents in 1988. While working as a diplomat for Iran, he claimed it was religious obligation for Muslims to liberate Palestine from Zionist usurpers, otherwise known as Israeli Jews. Students boycotted Mahalati's classes, which were canceled in the spring. A spokesperson for Oberlin told the New York Post yesterday that Mahalati was on sabbatical this semester. The anti-Semitism complaint also accuses Oberlin of failing to keep Jewish students safe. It details how in the fall of 2014, members of a campus group called Students for a Free Palestine, this is, uh, there are chapters of that in other uh, campuses as well, placed more than 2,000 black flags outside a venue where Jewish students were holding Rosh Hashanah services. The flags were meant to imply that Oberlin's Jewish populations were, uh, population were responsible for events in Israel, Landa alleged in her complaint. A banner that accompanied the flags referred to Israel's actions in the 2014 Gaza War as murder, according to the complaint. A year later, the student group posted on social media, you're not taking a neutral stance by refusing to endorse divestment. You're saying you don't mind that your tuition funds murder and torture. Oberlin, typically, did not respond to requests for comment by the deadline. Mahalati did not return an email seeking comment Wednesday in New York. Uh, That's getting into a different university with similar situations. So it's bringing it right home. Anti-Semitism is alive and well. It's alive and well in Ohio, it's alive and well in Oberlin, it's alive and well in the United States, and today we are going to see the pushback of that in the March for Israel rally on the National Mall starting at 1 o'clock today, and we sent busloads of people down here from Northeast Ohio yesterday. As a matter of fact, I had a friend text me yesterday during the show saying, Bob, can you share with me that information about uh, the uh, uh, buses to uh, to D.C. for this march? And I said, sure, and I sent it to him. But a little later this afternoon, he sent me a copy of what he received. We apologize, but we cannot take registrations any longer. We are full. Everything uh, that um, uh, uh, we were hoping, which is would be a, you know, a sellout, did indeed happen, and happened in very, very short order yesterday. So uh, buses from all over the country are taking people to Washington, D.C. for the March on Israel today. Seth, what do you got? Uh, I just got a note that there's a couple thousand Clevelanders alone. Uh, that are there right now. That is outstanding. Did you get that from the Jewish uh, Federation I, of Cleveland? I did, and uh, the situation is very fluid, but we're going to try to get somebody from there. We are working very hard on that. Yeah, we want to get somebody to set the scene. Um, I know uh, Max Miller is going to be there. I talked to Max Miller, Congressman from seven uh, District 7 last night. He is unable to join us this morning. He sent me a copy of his calendar. Holy cow. Uh, he, he really can't um, because we wanted to get him on. But he actually just came back from Israel. He took a trip to Israel, uh, was there for three days, just came back uh, day before yesterday. And he is uh, going to be on the mall today, as I would expect so many other uh, uh, Ohio members of Congress and representation and teams are as well. Like I said, Hugh Hewitt said they expect tens of thousands on the mall. I'm hoping that that is a minimalist number and that we have literally hundreds of thousands of people there showing the world that America does support Uh, Israel. America does support uh, their right to exist and their right to self-defense, and we do not support ceasefires, which are essentially surrender for Israel Israel, uh, to the terrorists who attacked them on October 7th. All right, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We're going to go to uh, line one. Jane in Medina, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Jane, go ahead. Hi, Bob. Um, I just had a comment um, 
when you were talking earlier about Mike Turner being one of the representatives from Ohio who did not vote to um, uh, on the mayor. He voted against. Yeah, voted to table what they call is tabling the resolution to impeach, oh. which which is which is a euphemism for kill. It kills the resolution. Well, I just have a theory about this because I'm just thinking. I remember Max Miller uh, did not <clears throat> vote on the um, that resolution to. Our referendum to censure. to censure. Yeah. Right. I wonder if it's not a little bit about um, the politics in the House with regard to Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, that they just don't like the messenger, and so they're not going to give her a win, because this is the second time she's come up before uh, Congress, and, she, and you know, she lost on it. She lost with Max Miller. Um, I don't even know. if Was she ever censored? Uh, Rashida Tlaib, was she? She was not. She was not officially censured yet. They made the vote to censure, um, but and, and what comes with that is is that she has to stand in the well of the the uh, House chamber and and essentially accept her censure. They read specifically what the censure was for, and then individual members of 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 Congress can can condemn her for what she has done. And I asked Congressman Miller about that last night, and I said, when is that going to happen? And he said, it's likely that it is not. And I said, why? And he said he believes it was part of the agreement to get the 22 Democrats who who sided with the Republicans to censure her, that it is only on paper and that she not actually be forced to stand there and take uh, the message and the censure directly. He believes that's what it is. He's going to check on it for me because uh, he was obviously not happy about that either, but he does not have the confirmation that that's what it was. So in other words, it's just politics. It's more pure right. politics where where the Democrats say, yeah, we want to censure her, but she's one of ours and we don't want to make her go through that where she has to stand there and take the uh, the criticism and condemnation. So we'll give you a yes vote as long as you don't actually make her go through that. And that appears to be maybe what she was promised or they were promised in order for those yes votes to get the censure. Well, and then, you know, again, I mean, I don't know if she was part of that, the, those, the eight that did not vote for the ousting of Kevin McCarthy, but at the same time, she is kind of um, she is a little bit of a lightning rod because Matt Gates is too, and you know, and I'm 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 okay with Mike Johnson that he's there, um, but that you know was kind of risky the, that whole process, and a lot of Republicans were really upset with him. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, I think we're in a better place with Mike Johnson for now. We'll see, but there's something that. With regard to Marjorie Taylor Greene, it seems like the Republicans in the House really don't want to support her and her initiatives. Well, you so, know, I mean, I'm just seeing, seeing that with Mike Turner. And, and I think I think there's some fair I think that's a fair analysis, Jane. Um, she is bombastic, you know, in that which is OK to a degree. Um, but she rubs so many people the wrong way with her aggression and what what appears to be a lot of blatant self-promotion. Um, she was livid with the eight that did not um, support her censure, uh, which, of course, I was, too, and so many others were. But then when I talked to Congressman Miller and I found out why he didn't vote for it, and, of course, we know he's one of the most staunch uh, allies of Israel in, in the Congress. For crying out loud, he's one of only two Jews who are um, uh, Republicans in, in, the, in the entire House. 
Um, and it was because right. he said the censure wording was poor. It focused on the quote unquote insurrection, which was not an insurrection right. any more than right. than J six was. And so what he had in mind was he was writing a better censure, and he eventually uh, right. signed on with uh, signed on with another one. Um, you know, so so what I'm doing right now, while I'm being being very very critical of Mike Turner, and that was the point of your call, um, I, I am going to hold open you know, for the possibility that he is doing something similar, that I'm not signing on to MTG's um, resolution of, of, of impeachment of, of Alejandro Mayorkas because I'm writing a better one. And if that's the case, he needs to make a statement about that. He needs to let people know, because as of right now, he's just one of eight Republicans who sided with all the Democrats to endorse what is being done at our southern border. And that is uh, that's unacceptable. Right. I well, I agree. It'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. But but this is what, in general, I think people are seeing is the the political kind of infighting or whatever it is within the Republican Party. Yep. And so that's why I think, um, it, it, you know, people are just, you know, frustrated because it seems like the Democrats get a lot of wins on the board and they all go in lockstep. I'm really surprised at Sherrod Brown even though he's our Democrat senator from Ohio, uh, that he's not on board with this impeachment of Mayorkas. I mean, how could he possibly justify voting against it? Uh, You know, anybody who wants secure borders or is concerned for the safety of the country, now that the numbers are so great and and the risk now is becoming, you know, people are becoming much more aware of it. It, it, The idea that no Democrats would vote for for his impeachment, and then you got Mm -hmm. eight or more, or whatever it was that didn't, because Marjorie Taylor Greene put it forward. It just seems like kind of a little bit of a clown show going on up there, and I I don't blame people for, you know, just sitting back and saying, I'm going to start withholding my donations, because people are fed up about it. And, you know, even for Max Miller, I was upset with him. He's my congressman. But then, you know, he gave an explanation. But once again, I think, you know, if they don't have a rules with rules with regard to how they put forth these, uh, you know, resolutions. Well, that was Miller's that was Miller's biggest point that he told me, Jane. And and I'm going to let you go. I appreciate the phone call. I'm going to get some more people in here. But that's one of the things Matt Miller told me. uh, I mean, uh, Max Miller told me was that he wanted the resolution to censure Rashida Tlaib to go through regular order which means to go through a committee, to get input from other people, to make it stronger, to make the language right, and so on and so forth, and then introduce it on the House floor. And uh, and uh, MTG did not do that. She just went right to the House floor. And so that was one of the things that he wanted was regular order, and I think there should be a restoration of that, quite frankly. Um, let's go to uh, Highland Heights. Lenny, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Lenny, go ahead. Hello, Bob. You know, the federal government says that white supremacists is the, are the biggest threat to this country, what you just described with that from Overland is an Islamist supremacist ideology and there are a great many people who who are adherents of the Islamic faith who do believe that you know it's an extreme version and it's you know the one of the tenets of, of Islam is to submit to Allah or or die and you know it's Islamic supremacism well, you're right. It is exactly that, Lenny. You're you're spot on, and that is what they believe. Thank you for the call, sir. Um, nobody wants to. That's taboo. You cannot insult 
Islam or Islamists or Islamic people or Muslims in such a way. You can say that about white people. You can say that about white Christians. The FBI said it about white Catholics who go to Latin masses for crying out loud. You know, we are threats. We're domestic extremists, potentially domestic terrorists. You say that about a Muslim, well, now you're insulting a protected class. Now you're insulting an ethnic and religious minority group. But you're right. That's the only religious and ethnic minority group that literally preaches convert or be killed. You will convert and praise Allah and accept Muhammad, his messenger, as your prophet, or you die. You're an infidel. It's just that simple. No other faith does that. No other world religion does that. And yes, they do have their mission from the very beginning is to establish a worldwide caliphate where Sharia law rules over all. All right, that's hour number one. We'll take a time out here. we got some news coming up. we got more uh, time. Again, guest-free. Curse- you and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The Answer. Is your host, Bob France. Hour number two is underway now at seven minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It's a Tuesday, the 14th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. I was just uploading my latest road rant. Uh, I did it this morning on the way to the studio. Um, it's about Mike Turner. It's what we started the show with today. Um, I'm I'm struggling and I'm and I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I really am. Last caller just brought up something about it. You know, the, remember we got upset with Max Miller because Max Miller voted against the resolution to censure Rashida Sharia Tlaib. Uh, and why would he do such a thing? Only eight Republicans did that. What's going on? And then we found out why, because uh, he it was a poorly written letter of censure or a resolution of censure. And he had a better one. And that's exactly what he did. He signed on to one that was uh, actually written by uh, Rich McCormick, uh, uh, another Republican. And so maybe that's the case with Mike Turner. Let's be fair and give him the benefit of the doubt. But until he makes a statement or does an interview or does something to tell us why he voted against securing our southern border by firing and holding accountable the uh, 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 secretary of the Department of Homeland Insecurity, then we're going to think the worst. And that's where I am. So that's what today's uh, road rant was. I do uh, road rants on my Rumble page, on my Facebook page, on my Twitter page, and on my Truth Social page as well. Um, like I said before, if you if you haven't checked those out, they're just sometimes you do your best thinking when you're in the truck, or in my case, it's a truck or in your car on a commute, and uh, you do your best thinking and your best clarity. And I just go ahead and I tap record on my mounted phone, and away we go. And so there it is. So you can share it if you feel like it. I'm on Twitter at France Rants and on. Facebook, um, Truth Social, and Rumble, and Instagram at Always Right Radio. So you can find me on those places, and you can take a look. So um, for those who are just turning on the radio and you don't know what in the hell I'm talking about, I'm going to play part of this for you again, the shorter version of this for you again. This is um, on Sunday on Fox News with Trey Gowdy. This is uh, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, Republican Mike Turner. Um, who was asked about the you know security issues or potential security issues at our southern border? Are we at risk of a terror attack in the United States? 
uh, because of our poor southern border. And Mike Turner says, yes, we are. More being exported to our homeland or groups sympathetic to Hamas acting out here in the U.S. Well, absolutely. And that, that is one of the elements that the Director Ray has identified as increasing the threat to the United States. And, you know, he talked about, of course, the increased threats to, you know, U.S. troops abroad. But his point and what he the, really the alarm he's sounding is the threat of attacks inside the United States. He cited what occurred in Afghanistan with the abrupt withdrawal, um, eliminating our ability to have intelligence gathering within Afghanistan from terrorist groups and organizations that could be planning attacks in the United States. And he cited the southern border. Uh, indicating that there are people in the United States who cross the southern border who pose a risk to our country, people who are allied with international terrorist groups and organizations who both as groups could be planning terrorist attacks, some lone wolves who might be inspired, as you were saying, uh, by what Hamas has been doing. And then also the fact that Hamas, Hezbollah, and others, uh, ISIS, have been calling for attacks in the United States. And uh, that also can result in this increased threat and perhaps uh, you know, great danger uh, to the United States. So he's clearly articulating the threat, and he's right. And you know who else articulated the threat and is also right? The Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu. He was on Hannity and uh, in a couple of other places yesterday telling the world the reality of the situation. If you don't allow us to do what needs to be done here to wipe out Hamas, you are next. He said it about Europe, and he said it about the United States. He's not wrong. I mean, they're going after the Saturdays, as they call the Jews now, and the Sundays, the Christians will be next, and in, including Christian nations or Christian-dominated nations. And it's, it's impossible to think that we don't believe this, but, but I think some people continue to operate. We suffered 9-11, and yet there are still Americans who have forgotten that lesson and, and are saying, oh, it can't happen here. I'm not going to do paragliders in here. I'm not going to do some massive attack. This missile and rocket A can't happen here. Well, it doesn't, have to ha- it doesn't have to happen exactly in the same way. It just has to happen. Nobody had ever seen anybody pl- fly b- uh, planes into buildings before either. But there it was. <clears throat> Netanyahu, quote, We have to win not only for our sake, but for the sake of the Middle East, for the sake of our Arab neighbors. You know what? For the sake of Gazans who have been held by this dark tyranny that has brutalized and brought them nothing but bloodshed and poverty and misery, we have to win to protect Israel. We have to win the safeguard uh, to safeguard the Middle East. We have to win for the sake of the civilized world. That's the battle we are fighting, and it's being waged right now. There is no substitute for that victory. If we don't win, then Europe is next, and you're next. You're speaking to Sean Hannity, so meaning America. And we have to win. He's spot on. The prime minister is spot on. Regarding the last call that I took when somebody brought up, I think it was Lenny and Highland Heights brought up um, this, you know, real most grave threat to freedom in the United States and, and around the world. You know, it's not here in the United States, domestic terrorists, white Christians and white nationalists and all the other crap that you hear from the uh, from the intelligence agencies that are completely, completely weaponized and politically motivated. Um, we have to we have to recognize what a global caliphate means. We have to recognize what <clears throat> the imposition of Sharia law means. We have to recognize what the Muslim Brotherhood goal is and so on and so forth. And if you're looking for another example of it, <clears throat> I got one. A respected Muslim cleric in Maryland, an imam, 
by the name of Mahmoud Abdel Hadi of the Mariam Islamic Center in Maryland did a video hailing the October 7th massacre of 1,400 Israelis, the the, uh, wounding of 4,000 more, the taking of over 200-plus hostages, along with other foreign nationals in southern Israel, hailing that massacre as a great victory. Let me say that again. This is a person not in Qatar, not in Iran, not in Jordan or Syria or Egypt or or Lebanon. This is in Maryland. An Islamic cleric in Maryland. And you're probably wondering to yourself, well, don't we have free speech in this country? Of course we do. I represent CFFS, Citizens for Free Speech. But when speech devolves, not just in hate speech, hate speech is also protected. But when it devolves into praising, glorifying, and thus inspiring terror attacks, that's another story. Abdel Hadi said that based on demographic trends, Muslims will be, quote, in control of things in the coming years. The video revealing the remarks from the imam were posted to the, or was posted to the Middle East Media Research Institute on Twitter. Yes, they still have a Twitter account. We are together with the Book of Allah and the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. There is no doubt about that, Abdal Hadi said. This is a promise for Allah, and it is going to happen. Now, eventually, this is where we are going, where the world is going. So eventually, we are the ones who will be in control of things or have the final say. But we need to really realize this. Why? Because simply, we are a greater number. And the way we have children just a few years from now, we're going to be all over. End quote. Many people, including one of my most recent guests, and I can't recall if it was yesterday or if it was Friday, but talked about how the international community continues to condemn Israel, saying that they're trying to commit genocide of the Palestinian people in Gaza. And yet, every year, the population in Gaza explodes just a little bit more. So if they're doing genocide, they've got to be the worst genocidal maniacs in the world because they're doing, they're failing miserably. They're building, they're growing, they're having more babies, they're having more kids, than they're raising them to hate Jews, than they're raising them to hate Israel, and they're raising them to hate infidels. This is reality. And here in the United States, what do we have as a result of that, or in response to that? We have massive demonstrations and protests on college campuses and in big city centers, on, on town squares, all over the country, supporting it. And they're telling you, by the way, when our numbers are sufficient, we're taking over. And we will indeed institute Sharia law. And you will either be one of two things, a convert to Islam or a dead Christian or Jew. It's just that simple. They're saying it out loud, and when they say it, believe them. October 7th was a great victory, said the imam in Maryland. What happened during the 7th of this month, it was a victory in a frame of time. That was a great victory. He went on to explain that it represented a moment that, like others in history, designated a shift in the way the rest of the conflict would play out. 
He cited the Tet Offensive in Vietnam as a turning point to buttress his point. In the wake of the videos released to the public, the Mariam Islamic Center issued a press release on its website clarifying the imam's remarks. This is damage control. This is what they do with Takiyah. We at the Mariam Islamic Center condemn the violent acts against innocent civilian lives that have taken place both in Israel and Palestine. There it is, the moral equivalence, which is crap. It goes on to state that what Abdel Hadi meant was that finally there is global attention to the Palestinian cause. He said there was a great victory, and soon there will be enough of us that we are taking control. And they say, he said, um, it meant that there's great that there's some global attention out of the Palestinian cause. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Statement goes on to address the, quote, occupation and the decades-long slaughter of Palestinian civilians, which is also nothing more than propagandized crap. K-E-R-R-A-P-P. Crap. Mark in uh, North Olmstead on line one. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hello, hello, Mark. Go right ahead. Yeah. Hi, Bob. Yeah, I I wanted to go back to one of your previous callers had said, um, Mm. Uh, about this, our representatives in this political infighting uh, regarding Mike Turner. Here's a case where, um, I believe it was last Wednesday, Max Miller, <coughs> excuse me, hmm? voted to, along with 70 other Republicans, voted to give the FBI $375 million to build this new lavish uh, headquarters. Well, new, yeah, new FBI building, yes. And I think, I wonder, <clears throat> is it because Matt Gates? was the uh, person who made this proposition to defund the FBI. I mean, here the most rogue FBI that we've ever had uh, subverted a president, uh, subverted the will of the people, has not cooperated with the investigating committees in the House. Uh, I wonder, when you talk to him next, if, if you would be able to get an answer for that. It's not cutting their funding. It's just... Uh, uh, eliminating the possibility of spending another three hundred seventy-five million yeah. for this lavish headquarters. I mean, why reward them? Yeah, I, I concur. Um, I, I will ask him about that. We will probably have him on before the end of this week. Like I said, I spoke with him last night, or actually texted with him last night to see if you can come on today to talk about the march, which he will participate in uh, in D.C. today. And uh, he is un- unavailable today for a variety of reasons this morning leading up to that march. But um, he said he'd come on any other day, including this week. So whether it's tomorrow or whether it's Thursday or Friday, I'll definitely have him on. And I will ask that question. It's a valid one. What's the reason for supporting uh, new new digs for the FBI when the FBI right now is, quite frankly, um, uh, treating the American people as their enemies? They're weaponized against the American people, particularly Americans of certain ideological uh, uh, persuasions. And, you know, of course, we, we cannot, and everybody likes to say this, and I think it's fair to say, we cannot say this is the the viewpoint of every rank and uh, a member file of the or excuse me rank and file member of the FBI, but the leadership, uh, you know, uh, from Christopher Ray through some of his deputy directors and including some of his uh, uh, lead administrators, they are absolutely responsible for the policies in coordination and collaboration with the DOJ and Merrick Garland. Uh, they do not deserve to have their 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 headquarters updated and so forth. You can argue about whether or not it's harmful to the rank-and-file members who need what they need to to operate effectively, and this is not their fault. They're just following orders, but it is a fair question that I'll ask the congressman. Well, thank you, Bob. Yes, it was he, he joined uh, Dave Joyce and, of course, Mike Turner. Always seem to be on the wrong side of these things. So I was very disappointed uh, in yeah. Max Miller. 
on that. So, well, I will. I will make a note of that. Seth, make a note of that for me to remind me too. So, uh, Mark, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. We'll definitely uh, uh, make a point of asking him that question. By the way, Mike Turner. Somebody texted me when we were doing the first segment on that this morning, and said. Uh, uh, reminded me that Mike Turner was one of those, like Max Miller, who voted against the first censure um, resolution of of uh, Rashida Tlaib, the one written by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I, and he asked me, this friend who texted me, asked me if uh, uh, he voted for the second one, the one that Miller signed on to, uh, or did he just vote present or abstain? So I looked it up. He did. So Mike Turner was in the same boat as Max Miller. He voted against the Marjorie Taylor Greene censure of Rashida Tlaib, but then voted in favor of the better, stronger, uh, more you know, more well-written one uh, that passed. Now, again, how much teeth did that one have? It would appear very little, because she's not going to have to face the actual censure in the well of the House. Um that's just that's just what I was told last night. She's probably not going to have to face that. It was part of the condition in order to get 22 Democrats to agree to the censure in the first place, that they're not going to put her through that. I find that to be completely unacceptable, but it's what I was told. But Mike Turner voted against the first one and for the second one in the same way that Max Miller did. So, you know, I'm going to, again, hold out hope there that there's a reasonable explanation for his decision to vote against impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. Again, one day after going on national TV with Trey Gowdy and talking about the the legitimate and real and present danger of a terror attack being carried out in the United States by some of those who are crossing uh, Mayorkas's um, wide open and porous southern border. It's a... He, we need an answer. We need an explanation. We need a statement from his office. We need something. We need an interview. Something. Keep calling him back, by the way, Seth. Keep calling him back. Keep calling back Mike Turner's people and say we need to talk to somebody. We need a statement. We need something. Because I hope that uh, maybe that's what this is, that there's a better one in place or that's on its way. Let's go to Twinsburg. Joanne, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Joanne. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, Mike Turner is old guard. I mean, he needs to be primaried. He needs to be gone. He's just one of these good old boys sitting up there. But my thing is, is as Republicans, guilty in the past of myself, myself included, and I'm trying not to do it anymore. Commentators, you hear it all the time. Why do we always agree with these Biden cabinet officials when we agree? You know, when we agree with them, we talk, we repeat their talking points the whole time when there's nothing they say. I mean, why are we? glomming on to what we want to when it comes to these guys like Chris Ray and then blowing them out of the water when we don't either we believe the guy or we don't I just don't think we should be putting all our eggs in the basket when we agree I'm not sure I understand what you mean Joe Joanne Joanne hold on hold on I'm not sure I need you to 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 explain and clarify because you said we glom on to what Biden cabinet officials say and I I, who who's doing that well even Chris Ray, you know, he's talking about the border, and I agree. The border is a mess, mm-hmm. and we are probably having tons and tons of terrorists coming over. But this time we agree with him. Next time we don't. I'm sick of us believing everything they say when we agree and not, you know what I mean? We need to well, I mean, I, 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 guess, I, I guess I you understand. Know, why should we believe anything well, well, because, in either direction? Well, because, I mean, sometimes for the purpose of... <laughs> For the purposes of um, 
any kind of, of reputational branding, they actually have to tell the truth. Telling us that the poorest southern border is literally porous isn't something that I need to take Christopher Ray at his word on. I know it to be a fact for a lot of other reasons. And the fact that but, he you, know, you see set... these guys like Turner on TV, well, Chris Ray said, like all of a sudden he's this credible person. No, I, I, I just think you're seeing it. I think you're seeing it wrong, Joanne. He's saying that even Chris Ray, the, 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 the liar and the and the. Uh, one of the stooges of the Biden administration that have been weaponized against the American people and censorship of the of, of, of viewpoints and so forth. Even Chris Ray says and admits that the poor the, the southern border is a problem. It's not like, hey, he's a credible guy. It's even he is telling the truth about this one because we know it to be true. So I think that's that's kind of where we're you know, the disconnect is. If we get some kind of statement out of mm-hmm. Turner, yeah. this is more of a question to you. I mean, is he just going to pull the Max Miller? Marjorie Taylor Greene's wording was terrible. And I mean, I, can we believe that given Mike Turner's record? Well, I mean, really? Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what. I, 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 I excoriated Max for his first no vote on the censure. And then I found out a few days later um, what the reality was, and I retracted that criticism. I am going to kind of play the same role right now. I'm going to say I don't understand, and I'm very, very critical of Mike Turner. If he comes out and says, here's why, and makes a credible explanation the way Max did, Joanne, and thank you for the call, then I will indeed believe him and take him at his word that this is why I voted no on that, and this is this is what's coming. This is better. I don't think he's just going to make it up and copy it and say, oh, my, people are mad about me, mad at me now because I voted with the Democrats not to impeach Mayorkas. Uh, so I better come up with a reason, and I'll, I'll follow the Max Miller plan. I don't think that's a thing. I don't think that's a thing at all. He has a legitimate reason because he has to know when he votes with the Democrats to not impeach Mayorkas, he's going to take heat for it. He has to know that ahead of time. His argument has to be laid out ahead of time as well. I'm sure it's being crafted if it hasn't already been crafted but not, not yet released by his comms department. But his communications people, press people, or whatever are going to have to make a statement as to why he voted the the way he voted. And I'm sure it's something he had thought of before, not thinking I better find a way to scramble and cover myself. So I'll say, well, it's like Miller did. I don't think that's going to be the thing. All right. uh... Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it's uh, 1036. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. If you are a senior citizen, Medicare age, and if you are uh, looking to figure out uh, what you want to sign up for for Medicare this time around, the annual enrollment period is here. Stick around because in about a half an hour, at about 1110, Mark King is going to be in studio with me live. And he'll take your questions if you've got them. Any questions you have about, uh, you know, what's available to you, in uh, Northeast Ohio, and you do have to know about Northeast Ohio because not every policy, not every plan is available in every area of the country. They're very specifically regional, right? And they're limited. So you need somebody who's an expert in the area. Somebody who's been doing this in this area for over three and a half decades, I would say is an expert. That's Mark. He's going to be in, your stu- in our studio taking your calls and questions on Medicare, and we're also going to talk about some important issues, or well, it's not an issue, about an important event that's coming up in celebration of the Christmas season. And Mark's got some details on that, too. So I'm looking forward to Mark coming in. He's our good buddy. He'll be with us at about 1110 for a bit. 
and uh, he'll take your calls. Um, real quick before I go back to the phones, and um, we have room for you right now at 216-901-0945. Norm will be up in a moment, but we've got some room for you after that. Um, can you Can you believe this headline? While the Middle East quote-unquote war is going on right now as Israel continues its self-defensive exercises in Gaza um, because of what happened on October 10th, which was facilitated and preceded by uh, giving the Iranians access to, what was it, $6 billion, I think it was, what the Biden administration gave them access to. They unfroze $6 billion that the Iranians were able to use because of the fungibility, if you will, of money to help their proxies pay for their invasion of Israel. Their proxies are Hamas and Hezbollah, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and more. So clearly we learned a lesson from that, right? Don't give Iran money. Don't give the world's leading state sponsor of terror more funds to sponsor more terror against American allies. We learned that lesson, right? Well, you'd have thought. Headline, townhall.com, Biden administration considering giving Iran access to another $10 billion. The Biden administration through the State Department specifically is reportedly considering issuing a waiver to Iran that would allow access to another $10 billion worth of previously frozen cash. This time, cash that's held not in Qatar, but in Iraq. This alarming development comes after the Biden administration in the days before Iran-backed Hamas terrorists launched their October 7th slaughter of Israelis, unfroze billions of dollars for Iran as a part of a questionable prisoner swap arrangement. Since that deal was made, Iranian proxies have continued to launch attacks at Israel as well as U.S. troops in the Middle East, wounding dozens of American service members. The Washington Free Beacon senior advisor Richard Goldberg reported the Biden administration may approve a sanctions waiver as early as today, Tuesday, (laughs) that will allow Iran to access at least $10 billion in previously frozen funds held in Iraq, a closely watched decision that comes just a month after the Tehran-backed terror group Hamas launched an attack on Israel that left 1,400 dead. The waiver would extend the multi-billion dollar sanctions relief first issued in July that expires tomorrow. It allows Iraq to transfer frozen electricity payments into Iranian-owned banks in Europe and Oman. The waiver renewal is driving concerns that the Biden administration is maintaining the financial avenues for Tehran as the country's terrorist proxies foment chaos across the Middle East. The world is living... In a post-October 7th world, both the White House is still running an October 6th policy toward Iran. Goldberg, senior advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and sanctions expert, who previously served on the White House National Security Council, told the Washington Free Beacon, Why should Iran have any access to more than $10 billion after sponsoring one of the worst terrorist attacks against American citizens and the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust? It would make more sense to freeze all of these assets and keep every penny out of Tehran's hands. He, of course, is correct. If the Biden administration thinks that the way to get Iran and its proxies to stop attacking American service members in Syria and elsewhere in the Middle East is a bribe payment, 
they might just be the worst policy make- makers to traipse D.C.'s corridors of power. If anything, it shows Biden is not serious about preventing Iran's malign actions and influence and seemingly wants to see current hostilities in the region devolve into wider war. I don't know how you can think anything else. Somebody else make, some, make, a, make a statement. Explain to me what justify. I, I know that 99% of our audience is conservative. It's 99% of the Salem media audience is conservative. But I know there are some left-wingers out there that listen to this show and others like it just to see what we're saying so that they can try to find some sort of you know, way to counter the points that we make. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, the, the, the godfather of it all, honestly, knows that overwhelmingly the majority of his listeners hated him. They listened to see what he was saying so that they could prepare a counter strategy to what he was saying. If you're a left winger or a Biden supporter or both, call me and defend this. Call me and defend my orcas. Call me and defend this $10 billion of, of unfrozen assets that are going to go to Iran less just a little bit over a month after the uh, October 7th attacks. Explain this to me and justify it for me. I won't yell at you, I swear. I just need to know how anybody can still support the decisions made by this incompetent, dementia-driven administration. This regime is doing so much to damage this country, and I want to know somebody who can defend. I want to hear from somebody who can defend it. Explain it to me. Explain to me what really is going on, because I'm uh, at this point in time, I'm, an, I'm at a loss. All right, let's go to any of you, man, Norm. Norm, you're at AM 1420. The answer, good morning, good sir. Go ahead. You just lit my fire this morning about Max Miller. Why, in God's name, would he agree to support a Taj freaking Mahal for the dirty cops? And that's what they are. I know there's low-level FBI agents that are good people, and I support them. But from the top down, as far as I'm concerned, Bob, the only thing they deserve is our undying contempt. They're like a rotting corpse. And Max Miller, to vote for $275 million to build them a Taj Mahal, is to me unconscionable. And I mean, I mean, to the point where I'm going to have to really consider, am I going to vote for this guy next time? Seriously. I mean, he, he went through this thing with the censure of... Uh, Talib, uh, I don't care if these people have a hard spot for Marjorie Taylor Greene. Personally, I love her. I don't care if she's bombastic. She's probably a bit like myself. And I am just so fed up with these, like the eight rhinos in this Mike Turner, another turncoat. It should be Mike Turncoat, not Mike Turner, to go on the... It may be. It may be, by the way. That that might be the uh the, the name for him if we don't get an explanation and a good one as to why he would vote uh not to impeach Mayorkas. Bob, as far as I'm concerned, he's a coward. I doubt seriously if he will try to get on your show. I'm serious. Because cowards <laughs> will hide behind whatever. And you know, it's it's just a sad day. You know, we, we had great hopes for this Congress. You know, they were going to do this. They were going to impeach uh, Ray. They were going to impeach Mayorkas. They were going to impeach uh, Garland, yada, yada, yada. 
they haven't done squat. Seriously, they haven't done squat. And then this thing about an exemption so Talib doesn't have to stand in the well and take the shame that she deserves so justly. No. But Max Miller, I am so disappointed. I am so disappointed. I mean, he knows what the FBI is now. They're nothing but a bunch of fascists to kick in people's doors. They'll go to the ends of the earth to hunt down January 6th people. But yet when Christian and Catholic churches get vandalized, bombed, and burned, you have this moron Garland sit before Congress and say, well, the reason we couldn't catch these people is because most of the crimes happen at night. Wow. So in other words, the FBI can't cut catch criminals because they're doing their uh, vandalism and crimes at night. No, I mean, it's, I meant, I'm really at the end of... That was one of my I, favorites. Yeah. Yeah, really, really. But I have to think long and hard about if I'm ever, ever going to donate another dollar to the Republicans in any election, because as far as I'm concerned, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, Bob, shame on me. And that's the way I feel. Well, but I do hope, I hope you, Max Miller's feet to the fire and say, why are you voting for Taj Mahal for the FBI? What's, what's your rationale? Yeah, well, I'm, yeah. Hoping to, I'm, I'm hoping to speak with him as early as tomorrow. Sir, you know, probably tomorrow. I would probably count on tomorrow because today is the March on Israel. He's going to be there. Uh, and he literally sent me a copy of his calendar today to show me that he just has no openings to do a, shot, a spot on the show today. But now that uh, tomorrow uh, the march will be in the rearview mirror, he'll be able to call and report on that. And I will absolutely ask him about that vote. We'll continue to try to get Mike Turner on as well. We have left many a message. We have talked to some people. They're saying he is busy and unavailable at the moment. Um, I don't know what he's doing. And, I, and, I, and he may indeed become Mike Turncoat. Um, we'll see. But right now he's one of only eight members of that conference to vote to uh, to table and thus kill the resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. If he is as yeah. concerned, if Turner is as concerned about the danger of terrorists crossing that southern border as he says he is in the interview with uh, with Gowdy, then he would vote to, uh, of course, to impeach him. And uh, and I'm waiting for an explanation, even a press release, something. If he's not going to do interviews with people like me, uh, a press release or something explaining his vote. And so far, nothing. And as usual, the Democrats were a solid block. They never, ever split ranks, Bob. But yet we have these rhinos and and just to get back at somebody they're they're going to vote with the democrats it's disgusting yeah well i it is disgusting i agree with that navy man norm thank you my friend i appreciate the call i i have a slightly different um opinion of max miller thus far i i think he by and large is on the right side of everything i want him to be on he's not my congressman bob ladd is my congressman He's on the right side of of everything I want him to be on the right side of. Um, there have been moments where I'm like, wait, you did what? And when he has done things, when he has stepped in it, and he's a freshman congressman, they're gonna. They just are. He stepped in it in that little Twitter feud, um, you know, where he was, he, he took a statement that somebody else made about Christianity and applied it and said, so you're saying that, you know, Jews are, are, are not going to heaven. He, he's very defensive of his, of his, his faith and, and who he is as, as a Jew. And I, I 
I get that. I get that. But but he made he made a statement on Twitter that was very very wrong, and as soon as he had a few minutes to reflect on it, he knew it. And instead of deleting the tweet and hoping it went away, which is what most people, particularly if you're an, a celebrity and a a public official, most people do do the damage control by deleting it and then just hoping it fades away. He left it up. It's still up. As are his apologies. He issued apologies on Twitter. He issued apologies on radio. He issued apologies in statements to newspapers. He knew what he had said was wrong. He went very, very, you know, went too far in defending his faith against an attack that really wasn't an attack on his faith. Uh, It wasn't intended to be that, and he knew it. And he stepped in it, and he fixed it, and I respect that. Then we had what happened two weeks ago, in which he uh, obviously voted against the censure of Rashida Tlaib, but he was ready with an explanation immediately. The night of the vote, I talked to him, and I, and I said, Max, what are, you, what are you doing? We need to send the word that what Rashida Tlaib stands for, which is support for the Palestinian people and support for the, uh, for the Palestinian terrorists, Hamas, we need a full-on statement from everybody in Congress saying, we, we condemn this. What are you doing? And he said, Bob, I do condemn it. I'm, in, I'm, I'm one of only two Republican Jews in Congress. Uh, I've, I've been to Israel more times than anybody else has probably combined. But this was a terrible resolution of censure. It called what, what happened on October 18th of, uh, uh, an insurrection. It wasn't. And it focused almost exclusively on that. And in fact, and he showed me, uh, he sent me a thing side by side. The resolution co- that condemned January 6th as an insurrection by the uh, 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 committee, the January 6th committee, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene's side by side, they were like, she copied it. She copied it as if to say, well, if that was an insurrection, so is this. And, and voting for it would legitimize both as being insurrections. And he said voting against it would say, no, they were not insurrections, neither one of them. And focusing on that was lazy, and it was just a copy of the other uh, 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 resolution of censure. So he said that was the wrong thing to do. And, and he, sure enough, true to his word, by noon the next day, he had his own censure written and ready to go, to go through regular order. I respected that. Later that night, we got word that a motion of censure of Rashida Tlaib had passed. Now, this wasn't the one that he wrote. What it was is one from uh, Rich uh, uh, McClinton from uh, um, Alabama, I believe, he wrote it, and Max Miller co-wrote it with him and signed on to it because that one was not going to go through regular order. It was going to go right to the House floor, but it was certainly much stronger. It removed the references to insurrection and focused on all of her rhetoric that is anti-Semitic and pro-terrorist. And that one passed and got 22 Democrat votes of support. I supported that, which is why I felt very comfortable sitting in on his town hall meeting. He did a telephone town hall meeting that I kind of moderated and you know, orchestra conducted or whatever through the callers to uh, to Congressman Miller from his constituents. Uh, I was happy to do that. So I have a bit of a different feeling about Max Miller. I am, however, after explaining all of those things, I am very much in agreement that there should be no reward for the weaponized Federal Bureau of Investigation. We cannot have the FBI... Um, you know, uh, being as corrupt and as weaponized as it is and be being given, you know, 
hundreds of millions of our tax dollars to build them anew, as Norm said, a Taj Mahal. Max Miller voted for that. I'm trying to find how many, and it looks like 70 Republicans, not not seven, 70 voted to uh, build this new, you know, this new FBI headquarters. Um, he was one of them. I disagree with all 70 of them. For many of the reasons Norm said, a previous caller brought up as well. I will, you better believe, ask him tomorrow why he did what he did and why he thinks this is the right thing to do. 70 Republicans joined 203 Democrats in defeating a measure that would have denied the FBI their, quote, sprawling new headquarters and, quote, priced at roughly $300 million. The 70 Republicans, oh, oh, I've got a link. I've got a link. Hold on. Just because we like to uh, hold people accountable, um, let's see if we can do this by yay votes. Yeah, here we go. Republicans who voted yay on this. And hold on, I've got a cross. It's this is one of these this is one of these drop down menu type things where you have to like um, select each individual one. And I'm doing this on the fly because, uh, like I said, I was not planning to do this. Okay, here are all of the yay votes, or the I votes. Um, I'm looking for names that you care about. Balderson, Troy Balderson of Ohio voted for it. Um, Looking for more Ohio. Warren Davidson in Cincinnati voted for it. That's a little bit surprising to me. Uh, Max Miller voted for it. I'm looking for his name. Um... I'm not trying to, I'm not saying, Bill Johnson voted for it. Representative Bill Johnson of Ohio voted for it. That's a little bit of a surprise, too. Um, Jim Jordan, hold on, hold on. Now, these were only supposed to be I votes, not no votes. Yeah, yeah, the, the, this this is a little bit crossed up, so I might, I might I'm going to retract everything I just said until we can clarify that. I'm doing it on the fly, like I said, because somebody wanted to know. Um, Miller, Miller did vote for it and I cannot verify all of these others right now because it has, uh, it has changed over when I switched from party to all from all to Republican, it changed things when I switched from all votes to yay votes, it changed things. So I will try to figure out exactly which members of the Ohio, uh, delegation in Congress voted for that. And, uh, I will try to hold them all accountable, but specifically I'll talk to Max Miller about it. I'm sure on tomorrow's program. Okay, it's 10.55. Getting a little bit behind here, so we'll take a time out. We've got a top-of-the-hour news break coming up. After the top-of-the-hour news break, are you a senior who is of Medicare age? If you've got a question about Medicare this time around, we're in the annual enrollment period right now. Uh, Mark King is going to be live in our studio. He's going to answer your questions. He's going to answer my questions. We're going to talk about some fun Christmas activities and events that are coming up as well. So I'm looking forward to talking to our friend Mark King. He'll be with us. We'd love you to be here, too. 216-901-0945. What's your question? If you are a Medicare recipient or aging into that program, Mark is here to answer those for you right here in our studio. Stay with us. We are also about two hours away from the start of the March uh, March for Israel. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? 
Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, hour number three is now underway at six minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us on this Monday. It's the 14th morning of the 11th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. We've got some answers. First of all, we were able to cross-reference the names of the representatives by their party, by their state, and by their vote on the funding of the FBI's uh, Taj Mahal, as uh, as a previous caller, Norm, was talking about. So let me give you the results and the information that we have here. And then we're going to talk to Mark King in our studios, as promised. And if you've got questions about Medicare, um, Mark is here, and he's got answers. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. But here's the thing. Now, a reminder, a no vote here, a no vote here on this bill, which would have essentially denied... Medicare, Medicare, I'm confusing my topics now, denied the FBI their new building, their new $300 million million, uh, Taj Mahal. A no vote would deny them that. So if you want to give them um, the the money, you would vote. I may be confusing this again. Doggone it. I'm sorry. If you voted yes on this particular bill, to, fu- to give the FBI, in other words, if you wanted the FBI to have the money, you wanted to vote no. If you did not want the FBI to mo- have the money, you voted yes. That's what makes it so confusing. So here's the Ohio representation. The I votes were Troy Balderson, Warren Davidson, Bill Johnson, Jim Jordan, and Bob Latta. They all voted yes, which denies the funding to the FBI. These people voted no, which gave the money to the FBI. Mike Carey, uh, Dave Joyce, Max Miller, Mike Turner, and Brad Wenstrup. So that's the entire Ohio Republican delegation in the House. Okay? So if you did not want the money to go to the FBI to build this, this new, uh, this brand new state-of-the-art headquarters. If you did not want them to get it, you voted I. So those people were Latta, Jordan, Johnson, and Davidson, and Balderson. The others voted to give that and that money, including Mac- Max Miller. So yes, I will ask him that if we get him on the program tomorrow, which I expect we will. Now, last thing before we start talking Medicare. We told you about Mike Turner. We've been badgering his office a myriad of different ways to uh, get an answer, at least if he won't agree to an interview, at least a statement explaining why Mike Turner, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, why he voted to uh, to table the resolution to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas, and they sent us a statement. Seth? Uh, uh, you want me to read the statement? Yeah. G- give us the statement that you got directly from uh, the communications director for... 
Congressman and Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner. What was his explanation? His quote was, no one voted to kill an impeachment inquiry. There is currently an ongoing investigation into Secretary Mayorkas in the House of Representatives. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene's resolution was referred to the ongoing Homeland Security Committee's investigation under Chairman Mark Green. When his investigation is complete, he can at any time refer fully documented articles of impeachment to the House, which will pass overwhelmingly. Now, they also did send me a link, a hyperlink that I'm going to send to you that shows the time that everything happened and that it was moved forward, not just killed, according to them. All right. Well, they're trying to play games and they're trying to play with semantics here because this is the this is the way it's discussed in Washington. When the House votes to table a resolution, it kills the resolution. Headline, Breitbart, House kills Mayorkas impeachment resolution while preparing to punt border fight to 2024. The House voted 209 to 201 Monday night to sideline the resolution introduced by Marjorie Taylor Greene, yada, yada, yada. And only eight Republicans voted with the Democrats. So if what would the Democrats want to do? What do the Democrats want to do with, with a potential impeachment of their guy, Alejandro Mayorkas? They'd want to kill such a resolution. Well, they all voted to kill the resolution. Eight Republicans voted with them. Tabling equals killing, according to D.C. vernacular, uh, and I think they're playing games with us. Well, at 7.33, according to their timeline, it was moved uh, to refer to Homeland Security. After 7.31, when the vote actually, I guess, took place or whatever, at 7.33, it was moved to uh, Homeland Security. Uh, so, I, I mean, you're probably right. Yeah, well, they, but, look, I'm, I'm reading it in four or five different um, uh, news agencies' coverage, and they all said that this is, you know, to table it essentially kills it. Uh, now, again, will there be another one that's introduced, introduced later? I don't know. So we'll see. All right, so I wanted to give you as much of the information on some of the stuff we were discussing earlier as we possibly could. And now let's welcome into our studio our good friend Mark King from Keeping Medicare Simple. Mark, how are you, my friend? Happy early Thanksgiving. Hey, great to see you, Bob. Good to see you, too. So thanks for coming in. So we want to open up the phone line. Or phone lines, I should say, for people who have questions about Medicare from uh, for for Mark. Mark, Mark, almost forty years. Are you okay? You able to hear us? Okay. Yes. Okay. A little on the light side, but okay. Can you? Can you? Oh, you know what? You, Somebody's going to come in you, and you, take you, care of that. You've got you've got a headphone volume knob there. Follow your cord where it's plugged in. Okay. Sounds and, good. Uh, your uh, and uh, you should have a a monitor right there for you. Did it increase it for you? Yes, sir. All right. Very good. So, um. Almost 40 years, 35-plus years now that you've been doing Medicare. That's a, that's a heck of a career, man. Uh, what, what, what launched you into that? Yes, uh, thank God I found this because I went to a wedding back in 1988, and uh, I asked somebody, so what are you doing? And they informed me about the Medicare insurance business, and uh, we've been doing this since 1989, and I wow. really enjoy it. I really do. I love how you said uh, <clears throat> that you started out, you know, trying to help out, uh, you know, people's grandpas. Mm-hmm. Now you're helping out your peers. That's <laughs> true. You, That's you, true. You're the, you, you and your friends are the grandpa age. Uh, so, so you know, there's a lot of already people are starting to call in, 216-901-0945, because this is the open enrollment period or the annual enrollment period. There's There's like four different periods, right? There are. There are several enrollment periods, not just the annual enrollment period, but there are... This is the biggie, though, right? This This is the... the, This is one of the biggies, but... Because it's it's longer, right? Well, people can now, with five-star plans, enroll in certain plans year-round, 
and there are other enrollment periods that people are eligible for, not just between October 15th and December 7th. So, Okay, what are the other ones? The other ones are, of course, the five-star. When a plan has achieved a five-star rating from Medicare, that's significant because then they can enroll people year-round. Uh, there's other enrollment periods for people who are either aging into Medicare or leaving group insurance. Okay. Right. To name a few. Okay. So tell me this before we get into specific questions from people and from me. We hear the fight going on in Washington and in in a lot of states, too, governors even talking about this, about what has to be done to save Medicare, that Medicare and Social Security are both in serious trouble in terms of the, you know, their, their, their viability, whether or not we're going to run out of money as people continue to age, people live a little bit longer. Um, and, and so there's, there's concerns that, that Medicare is going to have to be reformed completely in order to keep it solvent for people, uh, as they age into it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Mark? We do not see that on the near horizon. Uh, actually, uh, by raising taxes, uh, the viability of these programs is pretty much assured. But, no, we don't see anything on the future that's going to negatively impact this. You know, you say near horizon. What does that mean? Because, Next. again, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, there, there are people on both sides of the political spectrum in, uh, in D.C. that have all, you know, said we have to find a way because we're going to run out of money by X state. Now, it might not be, quote, near. That's the reason I asked. It may be a little bit further down the road, but whether it's five years or 10 years or 15 years, the point is, you know, somebody right now who's 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 40 or 45, they're wondering when I'm 65, is it going to be there for me? Is Medicare going to be available for me in the same way that it is now? And so now we're talking like maybe 20 years down the road. What do you have a forecast for that? Or My opinion, personally, is yep. that uh, being an entitlement program, entitlement programs don't go away. Typically, they might change. 25 years is pretty far out, but I don't see any big changes in the next 10 to 15 years. Again, my opinion. I get worried about, you know, especially when you say with tax increases, it's going to make sure that it's solved. And of course, we don't want tax increases. No, we don't. You know, nobody no. wants tax increases. I know you don't. Nope. Um, and, uh, and so, again, where is that money going to have to come from? It's going to have to probably be trimmed out of, you know, some of the fat out of some of the other pieces of, you know, parts of the budget where, quite frankly, it's not nearly as important as entitlement spending. Right. And, you know, actually, these Medicare plans are uh, the Medicare Advantage. People can choose two ways for their Medicare coverage. Real simple. Medicare is an 80-20 plan with deductibles. Now, to cover what Medicare doesn't, people have the choice of a Medicare supplement mm -hmm. or a Medicare Advantage. One of the plans you have, the Medicare supplement, you do not have copayments, but you're paying a monthly premium. The Medicare Advantage is actually Part C of Medicare. Medicare is actually paying insurance companies to care for people for the delivery of their Medicare benefits. And they've actually been around since about the late 1990s. I think about 97 is what I recall. I've been doing this since 88 or 89, and it's funny. I used to deal with people that were my grandparents' age. I'd be like, boy, my grandparents would like you. And now it's like, <laughs> hey, we'd have fun at a party. And by the way, we've been with your show now three years. I cannot believe it. I can't either. That's I know. crazy. It flies. It does. And after two weeks, I went home and told my wife, Connie, I said, Connie, I said, these people, 
are just like us. Same values, uh, which is wonderful. That's what I know a lot of the people who talk to me that say they called you because of this show, they say the same thing, that he's one of us. You know, in other words, oh, yeah. we, were, we all kind of share the same family values and the same goals uh, for it's our It's wonderful. And I mean, there is a real a difference. I, li- I like to hear that. Right, and I like to say we're awake mm-hmm. Not woke. Amen. That's fine. Amen. Exactly right. Wide awake, but never woke. That's the that's the way we have to be. Uh, Mark, we're going to get some calls here. Uh, let, let's let's start up and see what some folks have questions have, and uh, some of the things you can answer, you will. Some of the things you're not allowed to answer because of Medicare rules and regulations, uh, they will uh, they will uh, you know obviously you just you know we'll, we'll inform people what you can and cannot do. Sure. But um, Bob is in Parma first on line one. Bob, you are on the air. I've got Mark King, our foremost Medicare expert in the studio with us. What's your question, Bob? I've got a real simple question, Bob, but I got to preface it by saying that uh, back in 22, late in the autumn, uh, I called Mark and he put me into an Advantage plan. And that plan saved me about $600 in benefits. Wow. And uh, for some reason or another, I... I can't remember what prompted me, but I called him again in this past August. He put me into a better plan, and my savings went somewhere between twelve hundred and fourteen hundred dollars for the next year in a in a comparable plan. And uh, so, my question for Mark. Well, first of all, first of all, I want to answer your. Hold hold on a second. I want to answer your other part of that. You said you can't quite. You aren't sure what prompted you to call in August. I can answer that question for you, and the answer is. Always write radio. That's what prompted you to I, I call think it. I think it probably was. Yeah, <laughs> I think it probably was. And, and congratulations! I'm so glad to hear that that worked out for you, and that's great, Mark. You got a very happy, satisfied client here. You hear that? Hey, Bob. Sure it is. Uh, I got two Bobs on the phone. Yeah, Bob, it's great to hear from you. Thank you for the compliment. We really enjoy what we do. Uh, we really do. So thank you, thank you for that. I appreciate that, Bob. And so, Bob, that question. You're you're, you're quite welcome. Yeah, I just, just in general, you know, you can answer it in any way you want. You know, I just wonder what, what's, what's next that's coming down the road, uh, you know, with these, uh, uh, the recent uh, uh, givebacks and things like that that have been put in place. Is there anything else that's coming down the road? So, so in other words, he really likes the meal you gave him, and now he wants dessert. Well, what's, that, what's sounds, next? that sounds wonderful. <laughs> that sounds wonderful, Bob. Hey, Bob, Bob I am uh, prohibited from discussing planned benefits uh, on the air. That's a uh, advertising restriction to uh, hopefully make things easier for people. But if people want to call us. That's uh, government-directed, right? Oh, yes. The, gov- yes, the government is. describes or, d- or determines what you can discuss and what you can't discuss on about specific air. things on the air. So so you and that's because you're uh, you're an insurer. Right. I am an independent insurance agent focusing on Medicare and what's really nice we don't represent every company uh but we do represent nine different organizations, mm-hmm. 83 different plans and we can look at what a person's needs are. For example, with Medicare, it does make a difference what your prescriptions are. In, a, in a general sense though, you can you can speak to the changes from last year's plans to this year's plans. So, for example, um, are more prescriptions covered this year than, than last year, in a, in a general sense, not asking about specific things, or more services available this year for more people than there were last year? Can sure. you speak to that in a I general can. way? My experience has been these plans actually get a, get a little better every year because Medicare has, I'm sorry, Congress has appropriated more funds for these advantages. These advantage plans are actually getting paid by Medicare, 
which is why a lot of them have a low or no monthly premium. And a person should check with their insurer, with their insurance company or their agent or us, of course, because prescriptions change every year. The way they're covered and the way the plans cover them does change every year. You um, you asked me to inform people uh, a couple of months ago as we were getting closer to the annual enrollment period to send you to email their prescription lists so that you could tell them privately what you know what changes might be what might be available. Is that something people can still do? Exactly. Uh, I have three wonderful administrative customer service people in my office. I have Connie. Uh, Emily and Jenna, who are fully trained, and they actually care very much about their job. We're a little busy now, but never too busy. But never too busy to answer that. What what email should people uh, send that to, their their prescription list, if they want to get some advice? Sure. My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at keepingmedicaresimple.com. Perfect. That's easy to remember. Let's uh, let's go to Sally, who is in Berea. Sally's got a question for you. Uh, Sally, good, good morning. You're on with Mark King. Go ahead. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Mark. Um, my question is regarding the different tier levels on the Part D plans as to um, who is the main um, determinant of what a certain drug is going to be in, in whichever tier. We, we have a tier four that, you know, is typically more expensive. And I wasn't sure whether it's mainly the pharmacy that determines that or just the um, – Drug plans, if there's a big variation in how those, if those tiers are standardized or sure. if they're very variable. Sure. What um, what happens, and again, uh, they have normally insurance, the drugs that are covered are determined in advance by Medicare. There's a Medicare formulary. Each individual plan has their own set of copayments. Certain drugs fall into certain tiers, as you said. And uh, it, it one thing that I that I did want to make sure uh, to explain the donut hole. The simplest way I can explain it to people is that next year, for example, everyone is going to get with a Medicare prescription plan or a Medicare Advantage plan. They're going to get roughly five thousand dollars in coverage. So every time you get a prescription, the total cost comes out of that five thousand. Once the insurance company has spent. That amount, now you're in the donut hole, and your prescriptions will go from paying a copayment to paying 25%. That is pretty standard. Medicare laid the framework for Part D coverage, but the uh, plans are administered through the insurance companies. So the insurance companies make their own tiers, though, is basically... Right, right. They're similar, but there are differences where people should look at this every year, which is what we do for our clients. They send us their prescriptions. We take a look to make sure they're in the uh, proper plan. All right. Sally, all good? Thank you so much. Thanks, Thank you. Sally. Thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Let's uh, let's go to Kevin in Lakewood next. Kevin, you got a question for Mark King on Medicare. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Hey, Mark. Greetings. Hey. Uh, turning 65 this month and have signed up for A&B. Um, I'm evaluating the, the Medigap under the G side versus the Medicare Advantage. Rel- relatively healthy. Wondering what the ins and outs, pros and cons are of that decision. What should I be looking at? Well, at a 30,000-foot view, with a Medicare supplement, you are not going to have copayments. You're going to pay a monthly premium, which is going to pay the deductibles and the 20% that Medicare does not. Okay, that is what a supplement will do. 
what an advantage will do is you will have co-payments and also normally you have some extra benefits which i can't discuss unfortunately on the air okay. but if anyone wants to talk please call my office uh, you can talk to myself emily connie or jenna uh, they're very up to date and certified to help you with that question uh, he just used a term that i hadn't heard before kevin did it's medigap what, what exactly does that mean medigap is another word for medicare supplement insurance Okay. And again, Medicare is an 80-20 plan with deductibles. There's basically three moving parts. Again, this is a 30,000-foot view. There's a deductible if you go in the hospital, which is $1,600. There is a deductible for outpatient, which is roughly 225 And then Medicare pays 80%. Medicare gap, Medigap or Medicare supplement comes in and pays all or part of those. Okay. So there's three moving parts. Now, with the Medicare Advantage, again, equally as popular, uh, they will, in, well, I can't talk about benefits, but you will have co-payments, but you will have some extra benefits, which, again, please call us or email us. Uh, we would be glad to share it with you. In fact, what we let all of our people know, and, and God has blessed us with uh, a number of clients, is that if somebody calls you, which... Uh, People are not allowed to make marketing calls unsolicited. Mm-hmm. Um, if you call us, you're already our client, or maybe you'll be our client, but we will give you an honest analysis because we represent, again, not all companies, but nine companies, about 83 different plans. And it's based on what an individual's prescriptions are and what their needs are. So so in terms of, like Kevin is asking, and Kevin, Kevin, does that answer your question? Are you good? I think, and basically the way I see it, correct me if I'm wrong, Mark, is that mm-hmm. under the Medigap approach, I pay a small premium for no real bills down the road versus Advantage, which I'll have a out-of-pocket copay if I need the services, correct? Yes, and uh, my experience has been that they both work equally well for people. So, yes, okay. if anyone would like to talk to us, our phone number, 440-832-8936. Yeah, and, and I th- it's a really great question, and everybody is a little bit different based on what their needs are as far as whether the supplement or the advantage is the, is the better one for them, and that's uh, kind of, I think, where Kevin was at. Uh, good good questions. We'll take a time out here. we got a bottom-of-the-hour break coming up. we got time for a few more questions. Then we're also going to talk about a very special event that's coming up. You've probably never heard of it, but you're going to. Uh, you're going to appreciate it, I think, and uh, it's something that's very personal to Mark. We're going to talk about that as Christmas season is, is upon us, of course. The holiday season is upon us, and we've got a very faith, uh, a wonderful faith. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we do continue now at 1135 and live in our studio is our good friend Mark King from Keeping Medicare Simple because we are in the midst right now of the annual enrollment period. It started in October. It ends on December 7th, right? It ends on December 7th. I got the thumbs up for Mark. So we're taking questions from people about your Medicare coverage. If you've uh, ever wanted to ask an expert, uh, he will answer everything he can answer. It's so weird what the government restricts him from saying uh, on the radio about certain things and about certain uh, benefits that are available. It's really incredibly uh, restrictive. This is what regulation looks like, and it's a pain in the butt for everybody. So Mark will answer what he can answer, and obviously not what he cannot. Uh, Middleburg Heights Conrad has been waiting patiently to talk about Medicare with Mark King. Hey, uh, Conrad, go ahead. What's your question? Yes, you mentioned earlier that Social Security and Medicare are potentially running out of money. Yeah. 
My understanding is that the Canadian Social Security system actually invests its money in something other than government bonds, and it's growing over the years instead of shrinking. So I wonder if you might look into that and at some point have an interview with somebody on the show of, of how the Canadian system works and whether it's better than ours. Well, I, I and I appreciate that. It's a good question. That's a really a, more of a question for me, and thanks for the call, Conrad. Um, I will look into something like that, maybe even have a guest on from Canada to talk about that. But if you're talking about Canada's Medicare type of system or social security system and not just their general overall socialized medicine and health care, um, hopefully those are different subjects because their socialized medicine is a disaster. People are waiting for six months to get a doctor's appointment. People are waiting for a year to get a, a surgery. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just brutal. This is what happens with socialized medicine, and which is why I would never support such a thing here. Uh, because the the services are just um, uh, impossible to come by. So maybe their Medicare system is a little better if that's what you're talking about. It's something I would have to investigate. Uh, Diane in West Park. Diane, you're on with Mark King. Go right ahead. What's your question? Well, good morning, uh, Bob, and thanks for having Mark on. Hi, Diane. I'm a new customer. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good. Good to hear from you. You too. That you're on. And uh, thanks so much for sponsoring Bob Francis' show. I would have never heard about you otherwise. Well, but my question, yes. oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. My question is, um, I came across uh, long-term care insurance being available to people. I guess it's a personal policy you take out. Is that something that any of the companies uh, that are on, you know, in the Ohio plans or any of them that you are involved in, is that something through those companies, or is it just a total different animal, such as life insurance? Diane, it is separate from uh, Medicare insurance, and uh, I am forbidden from talking about those benefits. In fact, when we talk to people about Medicare, we are prohibited from Medicare, and I, this is this I agree with, from talking about other products. Medicare does okay. not want... Even, even if long-term care is not a Medicare thing? Uh, I would talk at another time about that okay um i would set another appointment but medicare has restrictions and and i agree with these where uh we they don't want us people who do what i do using the medicare appointment medicare secondary insurance uh, appointment to sell investments or boat insurance or a timeshare in so long to long-term care would qualify as an investment, that would be more. another day. That that's a, right. Yeah, but that's, that's like an investment. It, it, it's insurance, but right, that would be a topic for another day. Got it. Yes. Got it. Okay. Well, Diane, I hope uh, and I thank you so much for the phone call, and I hope uh, you can maybe uh, uh, schedule a time to have that conversation with Mark or one of his team members there. Mark, let's do a quick summary here, just real quick on what we need to know as we get. Um, you know, we're less than a month. What about three weeks left or so in the uh, enrollment period? In the annual enrollment period. In the annual period. enrollment period. Right. Uh, other, give us a little summary, then we want to talk about something else. Sure. Other other enrollment periods will be available throughout the year. And um, basically what we do, and, and, and I, I love this business. I love helping people, and it's the making things understandable. If I can relieve or alleviate stress and anxiety in people's lives, even in this one part, Believe me, I, I feel like uh, that's very worthwhile. So we're an independent agency. We represent different plans. And if you have questions, please call my office. Send us an email. It might take us just a few days to get back to you where typically it wouldn't outside of this uh, busy enrollment. But we're here to help you. 
uh, not just myself, but Connie, Emily, and Jenna. So and, and 440-832-8936. Yes, sir. Right? There you go. That's the number to call. So now this is a very different thing to, to ask you about in closing, Mark. Your daughter is quite an accomplished and talented uh, artist in a number of ways, and she has a special faith-based performance you want to tell us about. I know my audience, and I know how faith-based they are. Yes. Tell us about this. Well, Rachel's mom, Connie, my wife, and I have been extremely blessed with her. Uh, She was homeschooled, and it's funny. People ask us, aren't you worried about the socialization? And we say, Heck yeah, <laughs> that's why we homeschool. Now that's <laughs> that's not to take away from. Uh, we've met a lot of great teachers. There's a lot of people that really care, but uh, the homeschooling worked for us. And uh, part of Rachel's education, she had a classical education, also in theater. And uh, I like to say that she is an accomplished ballet dancer. And two years ago, uh, she told me when she was eighteen, seventeen, seventeen or eighteen, she said, "Dad." I'm going to write a play, and I'm going to have it, and we're going to have a performance, and I'm going to use my students. And I thought, wow, that is, that is a tall order for an 18-year-old girl. But you know what? We really feel that God has blessed her because she uh, has fantastic ballet students. And she wrote the play, choreographed it, scripted it, and had it last year at the North Royalton High School. And uh, what she wrote, was a combination of Nutcracker, of course, for the ballet and dancing, Mm -hmm. and also a Christmas carol, but it has a very strong Christian Christmas message, which it went great last year. We had 500 people. Now, she has it for two nights in December, December 2nd in the evening, and the 3rd, the afternoon, that's a Sunday, and we would love to do this free, but there's a lot of expenses involved and uh, her website is abbadance.com. And multiple styles of dance and really great choreography. So and, she wrote the play. Yes. She did the choreography, uh, choreography for the dancing. She's selling the tickets. She leased the, the, the gym or the auditorium, the high, school. high school auditorium, all by herself. She's 20 years old. And she did this, she, she, she decided two years ago she was going to write a play, then did it, then actually carried out the performance last year. Now, this is the second year for it. It's expanding to two days. It's just remarkable. And I, I, I'm trying to picture what it's like. I'm not a ballet uh, expert by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think I've ever seen The Nutcracker, but I am a huge fan and, uh, of literature. And certainly A Christmas Carol is one of my favorite uh, of Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.